I've entitled this morning's message, Fiery Trials. And um, just on a personal note, I can't even imagine uh, the grief that the parents are uh, experiencing with these 19 um, children. And so the main point of our study this morning is this is what I told the men at men's prayer. I was very, very blessed to see that many guys show up on Memorial Day weekend. And um, um, it was just a blessing personally to be to see that many guys showing up. I'm going to warn you ahead of time, we have, I only have three pages of notes, but I have more cross-references that I can remember. And it's a reality Bible study about pain, fiery trials, and suffering. And um, a, lot, a lot of times we internalize these emotions and feelings, and um, we don't express them. But let me say this a couple times before I get into the study. I want you to know that even for a born-again believer, as we look at the life of Paul and, and Jesus' teaching on it, that it's normal. It's biblical. And if you don't experience these things, then you're involved with a church that is uh, not going to go there. We call it a seeker-sensitive church. Well, this is just the opposite because you're not going to hear the message that I'm going to give this morning at a seeker-sensitive church like Willow Creek or any of, of them, like the Joel Olsteins, who just want to leave you with a good feeling. No, this is a reality check, and I want you to know that it's perfectly normal and better yet, okay. One of the guys at Men's Prayer stopped and said, Dwight, I'm, I'm glad you said, you said what you said because that's what I'm going through right now. And um, sometimes you can, the devil can beat up on you and say, where's your faith? Don't you know all things are working out for the good? And, um, and that's the other side of the coin. But one of the great things about chapter by chapter and verse by verse teaching is it covers every issue of life. And so what we're gonna look at today, at Paul is attempting to minister through various means to remember that handful of those who would not accept his authority over them as an apostle. Um, it gets back to the letter that he wrote about the sexual immorality in the, in the church was received by most, but not by all. Last week changed the way he tried, instead of speaking about his authority, he spoke to them that God loves them and they were the bride of Christ. Came in from a completely different angle to say, look, God loves you guys. You're gonna be the bride of Christ. And um, you don't want to not receive the things that I'm sharing with you this morning. This morning we'll look at several examples of the realities of fiery trials and suffering and tests from Jesus, Paul, and Peter. Uh, We'll go and have an Old Testament picture of the reality of all those who live in Jesus Christ will suffer what? Persecution. I was impressed with the selection of songs Eric picked out this morning that go along with um, um, the trials that we go through. So let's go to our text where Paul was reading for us earlier. From verses five to 15, um, Paul is acknowledging that he is untrained in speech, but not knowledge, uh, we've been, has been thoroughly manifested among you. And then he goes on to explain to them, and this was the richest city 
uh, in that part of the world at the time. And he said, I took nothing from you. I'm just going to capsulize 5 through 15. He says, I took from other churches and I gave the resources to you even though they were a wealthy city within themselves. Remember, two-thirds of the 700,000 were were slaves? And then um, he goes on to say, well, we were there, we worked with our own hands, and um, uh, he's warning him, verse 13, about false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. We have them today. And it says, and no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. And we actually have, in many churches today, not only is the Lord not there, but the enemy is. And we'll we'll look at some examples of that. So let's pick it up. Um, Paul says, I'm going to be foolish now and do a little bragging. But it's not a kind of bragging of, how good he is, he just admitted he was, he was untrained in speech and they said his outward appearance in chapter 10, verse 10, your bodily presence is weak. And um, so again, he didn't look good, <laughs> he didn't sound good and they were not receiving what he had to say. So now he comes at it from a completely different angle and he says, I'm gonna boast a little bit now but not what you might think about because I'm going to boast about what I personally went through so that you could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll pick it up where Paul read in verse 23 of chapter 11. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. Imprisoned, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Jesus received uh, the 39 stripes. And again, the reason it's um, 40 minus one, in the law, you could only punish um, a Jewish prisoner with 39 stripes. And if they made a mistake in counting, and they, the law says 40, but in case they might have mistakenly did 41 and said minus one. So that's why that's there. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. In a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in a city, in perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and in toil, and in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, and besides all the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. He says, basically, he's saying to them, coming at, um, these um, ones that are giving him trouble in Corinth, he says, this is what I went through so that you guys could receive the gospel. And he's boasting about what he went through. So let's go to, 
I got in my notes here after reading this, Paul is having his best life now. <laughs> Just think of the contrast. I mean, the contrast of what the, the Bible actually says and what's being propagated um, in many, many churches today just for the sake of numbers. Don't want to offend anybody. Don't want to talk about fiery trials and all the things that you're going to go through um, when you become a Christian. But we're going to grab the bull by the horns this morning and just go for it and let the Bible speak, speak for itself. Good place for an amen. amen. And so here we go. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, picking it up in verse 18, he's referring to a lot of the things that he went to. In verse 18 of chapter 20, he says, And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to be by the plotting of the Jews. And now I have kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies that in every city saying that chains and tribulation awaits me. How does he respond to all this? But none of these things move me. We sang it this morning. To identify with the suffering of the Lord and the glory that goes with that. He says none of these things move me, even though the Holy Spirit clearly tells me where didn't Paul get thrown into jail wherever he went? Every city he went to, they threw him in jail. They beat him up. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry. Do not all of us here want to finish our race with joy? Do not we want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? We all do. But we all need to be encouraged because there's gonna be times you're gonna be going through a fiery trial and you might doubt everything did an interview years ago for the Wisconsin Christian newspaper up out of Wisconsin Rapids, I think. And um, it was just pastor's perspective, it was called. And they wanted to do an interview, so I said, okay. And one of the questions that they ask is, did you ever, um, did you ever doubt the Lord? And um, I said, well, of course. And it was taken back. He says, well, all the other pastors we've interviewed said, just the opposite. And I said, well, I'm no better than, than the disciples. How many times did the Lord have to say to them, where's your faith? Why don't you believe? And I'm certainly not above any of the disciples. We'll be going to be talking about them in a minute. But that was a truthful answer. There's times, it amazes me, <laughs> can you identify with suffering when you hear somebody say, I'm suffering from my allergies? That's the word that we use, isn't it? And um, uh, it's the, the pollen is still out there, and I can, I can still feel it. But it amazes me how unspiritual you feel when you don't feel good. And it's easy for the enemy to whisper on you in your ear, where's your faith? 
You know, where's your faith? Are you doubting the Lord? And it's more of an emotional thing than it is standing upon the word and just accepting it that, well, like Paul said, none of these things move me. I'm gonna go through it. Why? Because it's a part of the Christian life. Then we read here, um, that should be our attitude. This isn't gonna stop me. Um, Somebody asked me about a week ago, Dwight, are you gonna retire sometime? And I said, uh, I can't. I know too much. And I, I wasn't being proud when I said it. But all I could think of was Pastor Chuck at the age of 82 with oxygen going up his nose and he was sitting on a chair and then he went home and died after doing three services in the morning and one at night. And I thought, how can you? How can you stop with what you know? Especially now more than ever. Um, you, you need to know that you're in the minority and um, to have a Bible study, I'm going through, through fiery trials and say, does it move me? I'm not going to stop. How can I stop? Well, we know what we know. Do I feel like I want to stop sometimes? Yep. Will I? Nope. So if I say that someday, you just come up and remind me what I said about the study. Okay. All right. So Acts chapter 21. We're already in Acts 29. 21, let's pick it up. In verse 7, when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to uh, Tamalus, uh, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. And on the next day, uh, we who were Paul's companions uh, departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven. These were one of the seven deacons at Pentecost. And... um, Uh, they stayed with him. Uh, Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hand and feet and said, thus says the Holy Spirit. So you shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. There's a prophet here. He's telling you that this is what's gonna happen to you. Don't do it. And Paul answered, why do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am not only ready to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we cease saying, then the will of the Lord be done. He knew ahead of time what was going to happen to him. And again, he says, why are you guys, you know, breaking my heart like this? I'm I'm ready to count the complete cost of following the Lord. Jesus himself gives an example and teaching on trials and testing. So let's look at the beginning of his ministry. Let's go to um, Matthew chapter four. John the Baptist had just baptized Jesus in the Jordan River at the end of chapter three. And verse 16 says, and Jesus, when he had been baptized, came up immediately from the water 
and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Now he's beginning in chapter four, his public ministry after being baptized. And this is at the beginning, verse one, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Where does the devil come on the scene here except at the beginning of Jesus's ministry? I'll make a point of that for you and I in just a minute. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if you're the son of God, then command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he's tempted here, but my point is with all these temptations is that Satan quoted scripture. Satan knows scripture and he can quote scripture, but the Lord would have to correct him. Um, For example, he quotes Psalm 91, the devil does. Um, he'll give his angels charge over you lest their hand shall bear you up and dash your foot against the stone. But the Lord corrected him in verse seven. He says, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. My main thing that I want to see you here is why should the devil bother you if you're not saved? He'll, he won't bother you. Just keep on doing what you're doing. It's fine with me. But you get saved, you get baptized, you get filled with the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden you become a threat. And now you become a target and the object of attack. And that's what we see happening here as the Lord began his ministry. This is when the devil came and tempted him and tested him. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. And we're looking here at verses one through four, we have the parable of the sowers. And I'm just gonna um, read uh, the parable of the sowers is really when the word of God is sown into a person, it can have one of four effects upon your heart. Now the first one here in chapter 13, verse one, on the same day Jesus went out of his house and sat by the sea, And a great multitude were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and a whole multitude stood on the shore. And then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Well, we use John Deere tractors these days, but in the old days, you just took the seed and we switched it out there, and it would land, and some of it would land. Um, uh, Some fell by the wayside, and in other words, it didn't fall on good ground, but on the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. And some fell in a stony place. It didn't have much earth. We call that not getting rooted and grounded. These are people who hear the word of God, but they don't continue in it so that they have some roots. Is everybody following my thought? So the first two, even though they hear, evidently, Um, it doesn't remain. The last two, but when the sun was dry, they were scorched because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among the thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. 
but others fell on good ground. Now, this third one here would be, I believe, a Christian that grows up but doesn't really bear fruit. Still saved, like in 1 Corinthians 3. Um, the one who had no works yet, it says his soul will be saved in the day of the Lord. This last one is where we all want to be, but some fell on good ground, yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What we're talking about, and what I'll give you the, um, going back to the first one, it says, the birds came and devoured it. So the word of God was put out there, and a bird comes along. Well, the disciples are curious. Lord, would you tell us more about this parable? and what it really means. So if you go over to um, verse 18, he tells them after they ask this question, therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes. Well, in the parable, who is the wicked one? The birds. So now we find out that the birds that stole the seed was actually the wicked one and snatched away what he was sowing in his heart. This is, a, this, this is who received by the wayside. So what happens as soon that, as uh, I usually tell people, if I have a, the opportunity, the blessing of actually praying with somebody, I tell them two things. I said, I have good news for you and I have bad news for you. The good news is, your name's in, in the book of life, and uh, you're going to live forever. The bad news is, from this day forward, you have two natures. You have the nature of the flesh, and you have the nature of the spirit. And it says these war against each other 24-7. There's a battle that will take place. And when are you most vulnerable? When is a baby most vulnerable? At its birth. They're weak, they're vulnerable. When is a baby Christian most vulnerable? At the time of his birth. And it goes something like this. Um, The husband comes home and says, honey, you'll never guess what, I gave my life to Jesus today. You did what? You know what that means, don't you? We're gonna lose all of our friends and so on and so forth and she goes through this whole routine or switch it around and it would be the husband instead of the wife. And, And the guys at work say, John, George, Paul Ringo, I don't know. You did what? You're not going to become one of those holy rollers, are you? You're not going to be talking to me about Jesus from here on out, are you? And some will capitulate. And they're not able to receive it because the devil takes different forms and try to take that seed away. Not the attitude of Paul, who knows everything that's going to happen to him. And he says, none of those things move me. None of those things are going to stop me. I'll, I'll gladly die for the Lord. That would be the, the one down here that brings forth the good. It fell on a good heart who received the word of God and shared the word of God wherever he went. This is Jesus' teaching of what happens to a person when they hear the word of God. That's when the attack begins. And that's why you need to get rooted and grounded. That's why we encourage people, now that you're saved, good time to show up for men's prayer. Good time to be a part of Wednesday night Bible study. Make church a priority. And uh, make it 
Jesus said it was his custom to go to the synagogue on Sunday. And I hope it's your custom that you have your daily devotions. I read mine this morning and it tied into the Bible study so well. I'm going to end the study with it. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, verse 31. We'll just read one verse here. And the Lord said to Simon, this is Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Why would the devil be asking to take out Peter? Oh, by the way, Peter, um, Satan's letting me know that he's asked for you because he wants to sift you. In other words, he wants to take you out. Why take him out? Well, Jesus did have an inner circle, Peter, James, and John. They were privy to some of the things the other disciples were not, like um, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, being on the Mount of Transfiguration. This was the inner circle. Of the three, which one spoke the most? (laughs) We all know it was Peter. Uh, He was speaking whether it was the letter of the Lord or not. Didn't bother Peter. And so my point here is, the more of a voice that you are for the Lord, the more of a target you become by the enemy. Because you all become a threat and you are equipped. As the Bible says, Jesus said, I give you authority to forgive sins on earth. And if they um, repent, then you have the authority to tell them they have eternal life. Now, lest I be misunderstood in what I just said, the disciples only were preaching the gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They had no authority to forgive sins, but we have the authority to speak the word of God and let you know that if you trust in Jesus Christ, the Roman road, and believe on him, that you can actually tell that person, your name's written in the book of life. You have eternal life, you're never gonna die. And um, the Lord will be with you through thick and thin. And, um, but I thought it interesting that the enemy would single out Peter. And uh, so we need to pray for those in leadership because we got a bigger target on our backs. Why Peter? Peter, James, and John. Peter has his own teaching on this, and I'm gonna have you turn to what Peter has to say in 1 Peter chapter four. So let's make our way back towards that. that. 1 Peter chapter four. And I'm looking at verses 12 through 19. This is a very important verse. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it a strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. What's up with this? I give my life to Jesus and now I'm going through all these burners, all these fiery trials. Peter addresses it. He says, don't think it's strange. Don't think it's strange at all because you are being tried uh, and don't think it's strange that you're going through this. No, just the opposite. It's normal. How are you gonna survive the test? Will you make it through the test? 
So the Lord allows the fiery trials to come. Why? To purify you. But rejoice to the extent that you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in this matter. For the same has come to judgment, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? We call it sanctification. When you get saved, you're justified. And God looks as though it's just as though you've never sinned. But then there's a process of being refined. Just like gold is refined through trials, Peter says. You're being refined like gold. So what happens to gold when fire is put to it? Well, it becomes, up, becomes more pure. And so the sanctification process is really this change of becoming more like the Lord and the fiery trials are pure, have this purifying effect where we become more like the Lord. If the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinners appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good to a faithful creator. Are you saying that the Bible has quite a bit to say about suffering and persecution and what was the term that he used here? Fiery trials. That's where I got the, the um, title for our message this morning. I'd like to give you an Old Testament picture of this New Testament teaching about going through a fiery trial. So with that, would you please turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter three. Some of you know where I'm going with this already. And it's the Old Testament picture of what Peter's talking about with these fiery trials. I'm not gonna read all of it, but I'll, I'll give you the background leading up to it. Nebuchadnezzar, had just made an image of himself of solid gold. And in two, there's 120 provinces. And he calls for all the leaders of these 120 provinces to come and to worship this um, image of himself made of solid gold. And yes, if you're thinking the image in Revelation 13 is a, a representation of it. And then he tells them, uh, in verse four, to you it is commanded, O peoples and languages, that when you hear the music begin to start. At that time, uh, when you hear the sound of the flute and the harp and all kinds of music, all languages fall down and worship the image of the beast. And if you don't, you will die. Well, who was in the kingdom at that time from Israel? It's interesting to me that Daniel is not part of the story, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are. Where's Daniel? Don't know. I think he's a picture of the church. 
And I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are a picture of the 144,000 Jews that have an ultimatum given to them. Either you fall down and worship the beast and take his mark. By the way, all that technology is up and ready to go. The Antichrist is in the wings and he's just waiting for the switch to be flipped. And this all can be put in place overnight. How many of you have heard about the latest technology with your phones? Where they're wanting to uh, know where you are, what you're doing, and what your social status score is. All that technology is here right now. And so, but I'm going to make a different application here. Um, on one of Keith Green's albums, some of you older folks remember Keith, called No Compromise. He actually has a picture of this. Everybody's bowing down to this image, but they got these three guys sticking out like sore thumbs. Who are they? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So some guy goes and tattles on the king, and he says in verse 8, therefore at the time that the Chaldeans came forward and they accused the Jews, and they spoke to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, didn't you make a decree that when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and the symphony with all kinds of music, they shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Well, there are certain Jews whom you have, you've said over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. O king, they have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar freaks out. He blows his stack. And he says, bring him here now. And he brings them in. It says his countenance changed and he was extremely upset. And he looked at them and I said, tell you what, boys, I'm gonna give you another chance. I'm gonna give you one more chance. And he said, um, if you're ready, verse 15, at the time when uh, the symphony sounds and all kinds of music and you fall down and worship the image that I have made, good. But if you do not worship you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is a God who will deliver you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we, we have no need to answer you in this matter. You know what they were thinking? What does God's word have to say about me bowing down to other images in the commandments? Oh yeah, we're not to make any graven images or bow down to them. Um, Second commandment, I believe, which is not in the Roman Catholic Bible for an interesting reason. And when they have the 10 commandments, they add one at the end and they take away the second one. Why? Because there's a lot of idols and statues in a Roman Catholic church that they bow down and worship too. Different study. And... um, then the answer in verse 17, well, if that's the case, our God whom we serve, he'll, he's able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, full of fury, 
and the expression of his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spoke and commanded that they heat up the furnace seven times more than it was heated. Why tell seven times? Because I believe this is a picture of the tribulation period. And how long is the tribulation period for? Seven years. So this fire is um, being heated up seven times hotter than it was before. I want you to notice in verse 21 that um, they cast them into the fiery furnace and they were bound. That's important. In other words, they were tied up. And their coats and their trousers their turbans and their other garments and they were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And therefore, because the king's command was urgent, the furnace exceedingly hot, that the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound, tied up, into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he arose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, didn't we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and they said, true, O king. And he says, well, look, I see four men walking in the midst of the fire, no longer bound, walking around, and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. That's because it was the Son of God. And they came out, did have the smell of smoke on them. Um, Nebuchadnezzar once again promotes them, the last verse, because of everything that was here. Let's look at this a little bit. What did Peter say? Don't think it's strange when you go through a fiery trial. Here's the perfect picture. How'd they go in? Bound. How'd they come out? free who was with them through it all the Lord himself what's your point Dwight well fiery trials are to set you free it only burns off those things like gold is being refined and you become more pure as a result of being in the fire and when you think you can't handle it remember that Jesus said I'll never leave you never forsake you no matter what you go through no matter how hot things are getting no matter how fiery that trial is and believe me there's a lot of people in the world today that don't know what to do they have no clue they have no hope and when people lose hope I was looking at the um, our bulletin this morning and Mary had evidently picked out 1 Corinthians 13 and it talks about the things that we have that remain our faith hope and love And the greatest of these is love. And what we want to take from what we're reading in this Old Testament picture here is you will go through fiery trials. That's what the scriptures clearly teach. And it's necessary. It has a purifying effect. It only burns those things that are tying you up. And the Lord will be with you through through the whole experience and you'll come out on the other side. Or you might die. Paul said, oh, death, where's your sting? (laughs) Oh, grave, where's your victory? Going to Jerusalem, Agabus said. 
and you're really going to be in trouble there. Why are you breaking my heart? I'd rather die. I'd rather be with the Lord and uh, be with him. With my body and all the things I can't do anymore, uh, I had this crank in my neck and I don't know where it came from. I'm going to do a commercial right now for aspirin cream. Ooh, is that stuff good? <laughs> it takes away, it took away the, the ache that I slept on it wrong or something. And But the fact of the matter is, I'm just getting old. And um, very much looking forward to this new body. No more pain, no more suffering. Got to get an amen out of that one. <laughs> amen. amen. And that's what the hope we have, faith, hope. And our God loves us so much that he won't forsake us no matter what you are going through. And I have no idea how people are handling it right now with all that's taking place in the world we're living in. How are they making it through? They don't have the hope that you and I share. The foundation that can't be moved. Let's see what Moses had to say about it in Hebrews chapter 11. So let's go to Hebrews 11. Just two verses. Chapter 11, verse 24, this chapter is about the Old Testament saints. It says, by faith, verse 24, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, Egypt at this time was the power in the world. And um, um, heir to possibly the throne and had all the wisdom and the knowledge of Egypt and that was in store for him, but free choice, verse 25, but he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God rather to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Is there pleasure in sin? Yes, there's pleasure in sin. Is there trials and difficulties in the Christian walk? Yes, there is. You wanna know why some people don't give their life to Jesus Christ? They don't want to leave their sinful lifestyle. They love the darkness, we read in John 3, more than the light. And they don't come to Christ because they don't want to give up their old lifestyle. Moses did. He could have had, he could have been ruler of the world. If I understand Cecil B. DeMille's version of Charlton Heston and him being next in line, next to Ramses. And but he forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He chose the suffering with God's people. Remember, they were slaves. And they were nothing more than servants for 400 years. They were in captivity. And that's what he chose rather than having the throne of Egypt. All right? Um, I have with me this morning... Fox's Book of Martyrs. These were the, what I'm going to read you is a couple pages of the men that walked with Jesus as um, our example and what happened to them. So we'll talk about the first martyr, of course, was Stephen. Um, When they were killing him, he looked up and he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Whenever we read about Jesus and the Father, he's always sitting at the right hand of the Father. But now he's standing. What do you think he's standing for? 
there's my first martyr right there. And he's standing up and says, and um, the people hated, hated what he said and they killed him. After the martyr of St- Stephen, James, um, the holy apostle of Christ and brother of John, then they killed James. Thomas, we're told, uh, preached in India. Uh, he was slain with a dart. And then we bre- read that um, Jude and to James the Younger, who were all the sons of Mary Cleopas, um, James was crucified in a city of Egypt. And uh, we're told that um, he was there crucified. Mark, the evangelist, and first bishop of Alexandria, preached the gospel in Egypt, and there drawn with ropes unto the fire was burnt, and afterwards buried in a place called there. And then we read that after him, um, we read that Matthew being beheaded, um, that he was beheaded. Of Andrew, the apostle and brother to Peter, uh, thus writes Jerome, uh, Andrew did preach in the year fourscore of our Lord Jesus Christ to the Scythians um, in a city which is called, I can't pronounce it, Sabasposlis, where the Ethiopians do not inhabit. He was buried in a city of Acacia and being crucified uh, there. So that's what happened to Andrew. What happened to Matthew, otherwise named Levi, first of the the publicans, became an apostle, wrote his gospel to the Jews in the Hebrew language. And afterwards, uh, they ran him through with a spear. That's what happened to Matthew. Philip, the holy apostle, after he had much labored among the barbarous uh, nations in preaching the word of salvation to them, at length suffered, and there he was stoned to death, and there he was also buried. Of the other James, the brother of our Lord, thus we read, James took in hand to govern the church, and we're told that um, James was also martyred. I don't want to, it's quite a bit of detail on his account. When it comes to Peter, we're told that um, Jerome tells us that he was crucified, his head being upside down. When they came to crucify him, he said, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner. And so they inverted the cross. And that is how uh, Peter died. Paul, the apostle, also called Saul, um, um, gave his neck to the sword. There's a lot of detail leading up to that. But I want to simply make the point that all except for John, the apostle, Peter, that, the Peter, James, and John, um, the story is they tried to burn him, but he wouldn't cook in Ephesus. And they therefore exiled him to Patmos, because the Lord had further plans. Of all the disciples that followed Jesus, every one of them suffered a martyr's death. This is a classic. If you've never read it, it gets into a lot of detail about not just the 12 disciples, 
and the Apostle Paul, but others. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, one of the seven churches, the church of Smyrna. I call it the suffering church. It's one of two churches that does not have anything bad said about it. So Revelation 2, picking it up in verses 8 through 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Now of every one of the churches, he uses a title of himself that describes what that particular church is going through. The title that he chooses for the church of Smyrna is I'm the one who was dead, and then I came back to life. That's the title he chooses to use. He says, I know your works, tribulations, poverty, but you're rich. And I know the blasphemy who say they are Jews that are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you're about to what? Suffer. Indeed, the devil, there he is again, is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be what? Tested and you'll have tribulation for 10 days, but be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. This morning's main point as going through this study no way possible is it anywhere near exhaustive. The main point is that fiery trials, spiritual warfare, suffering is normal, my friends. It's part of who we are. And you never need to doubt that I shouldn't be going through this because I'm a believer. And I'm supposed to be having my best life now. And I'm not experiencing that right now. And unless you understand what God's word has to say on this particular subject, you're gonna have a completely different perspective the next time you go through a fiery trial. You won't be thinking, is my faith lacking right now? Nope, part of the process. The Bible, this is not a gray area. It is black and it is white. And it is a clear teaching. So what do we do? All right, let's close with this and have you turn to Matthew chapter seven. What do we do with all this? Matthew 7, verse 24, parable of the two builders. Matthew 7, verse 24 says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then what? And then the rains descended, and the floods came, the winds blew, might I add, and fiery trials, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. These are people who sit down and listen to a Bible study about pain and suffering and trials, what the scripture has to say. And you go, oh, the Lord said we were gonna have storms in life. But if we stand upon his word and we understand that's exactly what the scripture says, then you're wise. And when that storm comes, you said, well, the Lord clearly said that um, I'm gonna make it through the storm, and you're wise. But 
Not everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house, and it fell, and great winters fall. They don't go by what the word of God says about the subject we're talking about this morning. They go through a fiery trial. Everybody goes through storms in life. Can I get an amen on that? Everyone goes through the storms. Christians are not exempt from storms. Matter of fact, you're more of a focal point of the enemy's attack to take you out. Peter, Satan's asked for you. You're too much of of a big mouth about sharing the gospel. And so here um, we find, I would would paraphrase it this way. I come to the Lord, I go through the storms, and I say to myself, I didn't sign up for this. You know, I I thought I was supposed to be healthy, happy, and wealthy. And I don't have any of those things. And going through these fiery, blistery trials, I didn't sign up for this. Well, then you're a foolish man who's not understanding what God's word has to say. Build your life on God's word and when, and you will stand when the storms and fiery trials of life come. This morning, you may be in a fiery trial. This morning, I want you to know it's normal and Jesus is in there with you. I thought, you know what? I'm done with our study, but I better check out my wisdom for today. And as I did, I thought, well, that's interesting. It really ties in, and we'll close our study this morning. This is Matthew 28. It's called The Old Path. Thus says the Lord, stand in the way and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and then you'll find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Jeremiah 6, verse 16. Israel was a mess. Their prophets spoke lies, telling the people, peace, peace, when in actuality, war and destruction were coming. Israel refused to recognize God any longer. Instead, they worshiped God of materialism, pleasure, education, covetousness, even the priests were corrupt and the foundation of their society had eroded away. Seeing their future, God warned them, you're plunging towards destruction. Stop for a moment, look where this path is leading you. And then the Lord advised that they ask for the old paths. What were the old paths? Belief in God and belief in the infallibility of God's Word. Can I get an amen there? It is crucial. God's path is the only path that offers true rest when you completely trust God, placing all things in His hand, you will find your soul, the peace your soul yearns for. Perhaps you've been caught up in the restlessness of this world and you find yourself on a treadmill, always walking and never, never getting anywhere. The pressures of life have you full of worries, anxieties. Look at the path beneath your feet. Move yourself back to the old path. It's as easy as getting on your knees before God. Ask him to forgive you for straying and to bring you back to a place of dependence and trust. Amen.
Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, Paul was able to say that he gave the people the whole counsel of God. And we're grateful this morning, Lord, as we make our way chapter by chapter and verse by verse through your word, that you leave no stone unturned. You always tell us the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And it says, in this world, we will have tribulations and trials. Uh, Then there's those blessed moments and times when the Holy Spirit is so much upon us, we feel like we could cut it with a knife. And um, through it all, Lord, we see that your word um, teaches the whole truth, all of it. I would pray for any that have been um, troubled because as a Christian, they don't think they should be experiencing some of the things that they're going through. Lord, I pray your word this morning would reassure them that this is not only normal, but it's exactly what your word tells us, that we're not to think it's strange concerning the fiery trials which are to try us. And for that, Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.